Today's word is from John 4, 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his good work. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. Yes, we are teaching on, on um, fasting on the day of the Super Bowl. Yes, we are doing that. Uh, it is not a test. This is not a nightmare. Uh, we are doing it. You are very much here right now. Uh, my wife is the only person I know who has a um, 49ers uh, debit card. And uh, man, she's like the super fan. Anybody else have a sports team on your debit card? Anybody? No? Okay, well, I've got my dog Gus on mine, so that's almost as good. Uh, my wife accidentally is the biggest 49ers fan. She doesn't watch football ever. She's Canadian and Actually, she's more Brazilian than anything else, and so this whole football thing is nothing to her, only she ordered the um, tie-dye credit card at one point, you know, when you can choose your own, and they sent her a 49ers card, and she was like, oh my gosh, and she's too, she doesn't care enough to like replace it, and then when she had to order another one, literally ordered another tie-dye and got another 49ers card, (laughs) and so she's just going with it. Um, she is in Las Vegas today at the, just kidding, she's not at the game. Uh, she is in Vegas. Uh, her, she is traveling with her uh, nonprofit, uh, meeting with a couple of churches in that area just by chance. It happens to be the same day that her team is playing in the big game. Uh, anyways, we're going to dive into scripture today, uh, and it's going to be uh, just a beautiful time. So as if you've been around the church long enough, you know that um, we are one of the pilot churches for Practicing the Way, which is a discipleship movement, um, including about 3,000 churches around the world who focus on formation. And so um, in our contending communities and as a church as a whole, we integrate not just understanding and head knowledge, but the practical of embodied spirituality, which the West, we just haven't been that good at. We've been really good at giving our hearts to Jesus, but not really great at understanding how to give our lives and body to Jesus. And so our desire is that we would cultivate habits that is within our bodies because we are embodied individuals. Your body is part of your spiritual um, journey and discipleship. And so we're going to talk about some of those things. We're going to talk about the purpose behind fasting. We're going to talk about how fasting is, is such a beautiful practice, but it is a costly practice. I'm terrible at it. Um, and so it's one of those areas that some of the practices, they're going to be easy for you. I, lo- I love the study of Scripture. Later on this year, we're going to be going into a practice around the study of Scripture. So we're excited for that. Um, this practice, it's like swimming upstream for me. Um, and so uh, as, we, as we talk about it, just recognize this is going to be a challenge. This is something the Western church isn't used to doing. But throughout Christian history, it's quite common. Okay? We good? All right. So uh, I used to have the most perfect pillow. How many of you guys have a pillow that you love? Are you pillow connoisseurs or just like you have just always had it? It's got the lumps in just the right place. I mean, uh, it takes some time. I never knew about pillows until uh, I started uh, being a grown-up. And then I'm like, oh, it matters. And maybe it has to do with like turning 40 and like not sleeping as well. I don't know. Um, But I found this pillow was perfect. It had like this uh, Tempur-Pedic element to it, but not the whole thing. Anyways, if you know pillows, you know what I'm talking about. Um, 
I took it with me to Israel. That's how much I like my pillow. If I have my pillow with me, I travel with it. I try and like cram it into my suitcase and all that. And so I was in Israel and I, I, uh, I, did, I, had, a mis- I did a mistake. I, I had a white pillowcase on my pillow that belonged to me. And so if you're going to travel with a pillow and you care about it, put a different color pillowcase on it, just a little... Uh, I left it in Israel, in downtown Old Town Jerusalem, and I have been so sad ever since. And so I've been trying to find different pillows, and I finally found one, um, and then I, the Lord led me to give it to a homeless guy, which I was super bummed about because it's really hard to find. And so, but hopefully he knows how good it is, right? Um, and so I've been on a search for a pillow for quite a while, and my daughters were laughing at me because one day we were at uh, Walmart, and I have ADD, and so I go to Walmart for one thing, and I end up walking out with like bags of candy and all these different things. My wife, my, my, you know, it's just a laughing thing. Um, and I, I remember we were walking past, we were going to get dog food or something, and I was like, oh, pillows. And so I remember going into the aisle, and I was like, okay, I'm no slump. I mean, I know the difference between a $20 pillow and a $50 pillow. Amen? Anybody? I'm sorry. Some of you are like, dude, you were just talking about not pursuing, like, goods of the world last week, David. Whatever, dude. Yeah, okay. Pillows are my thing. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to grab this guy. I think this one's called Sleep Well. And, you know, you can look at them. Some of them are like, they have, like, copper fibering in them, you know what I mean, to make you kind of, mm, at night. I don't know. Uh, this one has the cooling uh, uh, little deal. So I, you know. Um, and then there was this other one, and, and it felt more, honestly, I had to be honest. This guy's softer, okay? But this guy, it felt nicer when I laid down in the aisle at Walmart, like this, right? And my daughter's like, you can't do that, Dad. And I'm like, yes, I can. I am. I'm doing it right now. Um, and so we have, there's like a huge industry around sleep, right? And it's not just the pillows. It's not just the pillows. It's, it's also like these uh, uh, weighted blanket things. How many? Anybody? Right? Ooh, this was a Christmas gift. Oh, it's from my wife. Little Pendleton action going on. I don't know if that makes it any better or not, but it probably costs more. Um, what what other things can we do? Uh, okay, and then um, of course uh, at nighttime you, you want to cozy up. There's the mattresses. Oh my goodness, um, and, and you can get uh, sleepy time tea, right, to help you. Anybody? Does anybody use this? It's so nice. Just... Right. The smell, it's like, oh, something's happening to my body already. And so you can end up just like totally engaged with trying to fall. And my wife, when I met her, I was like, dang, girl's pretty. But now I'm learning she's smart too. She like reads at night, which is annoying. Um, And so I've had to get one of these puppies, right? So I can sleep with the things on her. Because she's got one of those cute modern light lamps next to her bed. And it's just like very cute, but very bright. Uh, and then you can get these cool new loop earring, or earrings, earplugs, right? And so, I mean, oh man, I can get so comfortable at night. It's just like, oh, night, Rachel. You know, I'm like wrapped up. I know this isn't how it's supposed to be used, but yeah, okay, I'm going to wrap my blanket. And I'm just, I'm comfortable, and it's so nice. And I got my tea, and I'm just chilling there. We're really good at being comfortable. We're like absolute experts in the world at like, tending to ourselves and soothing ourselves. Isn't that true? Where we can get to the point where we're so insulated that we just aren't even really present. Right? And there's something about Jesus where he says this warning about being people who hear but really don't hear and see but who do not see. 
We can be around things that should move us or affect us or even have the Lord speaking to us, but it's not really affecting us. Um, this pastor, uh, I'm going to start with a quote from him today. Uh, Rich, I always screw up his last name, Veotis. Our lives are often oriented by self-soothing. I think this is the nature of addiction and the nature of life. This is why fasting is so important. Because it reminds me, once again, I've tried to address my problems with very worldly ways. And I've left God out of the picture. Sometimes we need to be awakened. Sometimes... Although the blessings and comforts of this world, I've got nothing to judge anyone on, are so nice. Sometimes we have to plan to put ourselves in a place that just startles us awake. Sometimes it's good to, to see things that disturb our, our peace, that interrupt our day, that challenge our hearts. Because the biggest travesty, my friends, is for God to have placed a powerful community of people in his world and have us all just so soothed and sleepy and comfortable that all that power that he's placed for the good of the world around us is simply going by asleep. I want to pray for us this morning and then we're going to get into Scripture. Jesus, we ask your kindness and your blessing to us today. We pray that your word would come to us, Lord Jesus, as a, a sweetness, but also a strength. That our hearts, Lord God, would be um, welcomed by you where you come to us as we are, even as your son came to the disciples who fell asleep yet again as he was seeking your face the night that he was betrayed and going to the cross. Jesus, I just pray that we would be alert, that we would be on guard, that we would be in your corner and with you, Jesus, as you seek to save the lost and to redeem this world, to overcome the brokenness that we ourselves experience day in and day out and have been liberated from and continue to be healed of. Jesus, would you stir us and would you give us tools, Jesus, that would, that would help us to be alert and in tuned and tuned into to what is really going on, what is truly life, Lord God. Help us, Jesus, to have good eyes, eyes that do not look to take, but eyes that look to give. Would you help us, Jesus, to not try and live the lie of the Western church so we can have it all, we can pursue the world and pursue you, Lord. We will seek you with our hearts. And we will trust that you will look after us because you love us and your eye is set upon us and you delight to be with us. We ask you to bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were planting this church, I was spending time in prayer with a number of others and um, we, we took some time and just tried to envision what God was trying to do in the community among us, and the Lord gave me this image, and I, I continued to just bring it before the Lord and lay it at His feet, but it was this image that in our area, there is a sleeping giant, a giant that is strong, that is able, that has, has been in the past very effective, but for one reason or another has just been lulled to sleep.
And as I began to pray and prepare for our time today, my, my thought was, is this, who, who is this giant? Are we the giant? Because I think in a lot of ways, people, as we've talked in the past, who have kind of just drifted away, they could become the sleeping giant. Where, where God has put on their hearts in the past, they've been passionate about following the Lord, but for one reason or another, where they've ended up in life, they've just lost their energy, lost their desire, and maybe that's even us. Maybe it's even me. I began to wonder, like, what if Jesus really was able to give the same power to you and to me that raised Jesus from the death? What if that same power was at work in me as I moved through the streets of Ridgefield or Vancouver or Battleground? What if Jesus wasn't joking that the same power that raised him from the dead he has given us through the Spirit? And what if we are able to cultivate an openness, an alertness, a hunger for him in a way that allows us to live in this world in a different way? that would make us truly feel like salt and light. This is the invitation from Jesus. It truly is. I look at this scripture that we read today, John 4, 31, that Bethany read to us. Thank you so much. It comes into the space where Jesus has traveled intentionally into the city where the Samaritans were at, and he finds this woman next to the well, and he's interacting with her, and he's talking to her. He's proclaiming truth to her. He's, he's caring for her. He is moving beyond the social structures of his world, breaking social rules to interact with a world that he sees as more vivid than the world before him. That's why when the disciples come back with food, they say, Rabbi, we have food for you. Eat, eat. But he said, I have food that you do not know about. What? The disciples said to one another, has somebody brought him something to eat? Their minds are still stuck with the here and now, the pillows and earplugs and cozy blankets. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What if this wasn't just some throwaway verse that only Jesus could do because he was God? What if the incarnation of Jesus has, has more to say about your human experience than what we often give it credit for? What if the way Jesus lived in the world was more accessible to you and me than we actually think it is? If we don't just give him the pass for being the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, but recognize that Scripture proclaims, no, physically he took on human form, limiting himself to the restraints of you and I. But he did all those things. He had a detachment from the food and around him. He had a detachment. Do you know Jesus? it says that he was wearied from the journey? He sat down at the well because he was tired. Okay, Jesus was tired. He was hungry. His physical body hungered. Yet he said, I have food that you know nothing about. There was something that overrode his humanly fleshly hunger that fed the depths of his person to a subhuman level to the core of his being. That is possible through the Lord. We live in this tension between the right now and the not yet, the already, the heaven is showing up. And so there is a tension for sure. 
We do have a necessity of our physical body. We have limitations, but we need to know that Jesus entered into those limitations Himself. And yet He was not uh, inundated or overcome by the circumstances of human surroundings. He allowed the Spirit of God. That is what Jesus used for all of His powerful works. It was not His own perfect power trick. It was Him perfectly relying upon the Spirit's power. Who do you have that He had? The Spirit. The Spirit's power. How do we become a people who are able to see beyond what is in front of us to tune into the world that is more tangible in the kingdom than the physical realm? This world is passing away, but the kingdom of God is not. This world is shaking, but the kingdom of God is not. This world has lots of things that will feed into our humanly flesh and draw us and, and, and try and distract us, but the kingdom of God is like, it's like ushering us into abundant life. Abundant life is attached to following and walking in the ways of Jesus. Jesus says this in other areas. He references the same kind of life. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, that is in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uh, began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer uh, suffer by many and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Peter looked at Him and pulled Him aside and began to rebuke Him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. How do we starve ourselves of being so dependent upon the things of man instead of the things of God? It does not come naturally. If only we had a tool that allowed us to follow in the ways of Jesus that would make sense of our lives, that didn't just feed into our own personal hungers and longings because the Western church has often played upon the hungers and thirst of humanity and they have said you can have that and Jesus and really the two don't walk hand in hand. We have to follow Christ as he says in, uh, after the, directly after he says to Peter, your mind is set on the things of man, not on the things of God. He goes on to say, and Jesus said to the disciples, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Wait, what? Like, okay, yeah, Jesus, oh, let's, let's use the Abraham-Isaac uh, scenario. This is what I always do. Yeah, deny myself? Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Okay, so what's that look like? You called Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, Isaac, but you never really meant to, so I'm just going to assume that that's the same way you want to treat my stuff too. And so like, okay, let's walk through the pretend scenario that you're actually going to ask me not to eat food once a week, or you're actually going to ask me to, to give away something that I really love and and. and delight in but we know how that works right God so let's just fast forward to the bit where, where I'm like yeah I'll do it haha <laughs> and then you're like no don't do it I don't really mean it and we never give up anything we just continue to see Lord I told you I'd give it up if I had to any thoughts I mean this is me I'm just being real you guys are way, I'm sure this is not your, your situation at all. I just, welcome to my mind, self-justification, um, but uh, that, 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 that's, that's real uh, for me. Uh, Jesus pushes us in the Sermon on the Mount, verse uh, 25 of chapter 6, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Man, Jesus has come 
that we may have life and not merely life associated with the tangibles of this world, but life from beyond. Life of eternity. Jesus' primary habitat was heaven. Our primary habitat is earth, but he's welcomed us to belong in heaven. Therefore, he's trying to shake loose some of our over-dependence upon this earth. He's trying to, to disturb my, my, my primary view that this right here is the most real thing. And so whatever this is, everything else needs to be sacrificed for. And in fact, he says, no, give this up. And if you give this up, you will find yourself functioning in the habitat of heaven. Where you're able to face challenges in a way that doesn't make sense to those around you, but to Jesus, he's like, oh my gosh, you're, you see it, you're doing it, you're walking on the water. Have you ever thought about the idea that in the tangible world of Peter and the disciples, water, deep, drowning, but in the kingdom of heaven, the habitat that Jesus invited him into, that was solid ground? And Peter just trusted to step into that solid ground that Jesus said was solid ground, even though it was water? How do we live a different way? We have to starve ourselves of believing that this world, our hungers, our thirsts, our tangible uh, desires of this world are not ultimate. They are temporary, though true they may be. As we look at uh, practicing the way of Jesus and becoming those who would walk in his ways and, and find our way to, to live how he did, where he could interact with the real world, and he could do so in a way that didn't um, just pretend that it wasn't real. He interacted with it in a healthy way that didn't see it as supreme. We read this quote from Practicing the Way, which uh, to apprentice under Jesus is to adopt his overall lifestyle, to arrange our life around the practices and way of being that Jesus himself did in order to open our whole life to God to transform you from the inside out. We believe that Jesus didn't live his life incidentally. He didn't live it based upon his human desires. He lived his life based upon the patterning of what human uh, reality was intended to be. He was the human we were all intended to be. And as he walked out his perfect humanity through the power of the Spirit, he was able to drink in all the glories of heaven and all the joys of abundant life, even while enduring hardship, walking through challenges, being rejected, uh, suffering for the sake of others. He was able to experience the delight of God even in the midst of the hardship of this world. We will not escape hardship. We will not escape sacrifice. This world is not going away necessarily until Christ returns. But what if we could have one half of ourselves or more of ourselves in his presence even when we're here walking through challenges where our hearts are exposed ever to his shining face of pleasure even when we're getting uh, frustration from others or rebuke from others while we walk in his power we have to starve ourselves of this world in order to make ourselves at home in our true world 
Jesus himself, he feasted while on earth to the point where people leveled the accusation against him. He is a drunkard and a glutton because he loved to hang out with people and was not just all about asceticism. But he also fasted. We know that his ministry started with 40 days in the desert of fasting. We know that when Satan came and tried to tempt him to, to break his, his fast or, or what he was trying to, to accomplish, he was trying to tempt him to move beyond what God called him to, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Throughout history, you may not know this, I've, this is a really interesting finding. Um, fasting is part of every major religion in the world. Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, and most indigenous spiritual practices. But the first mention in all of human history was Moses when he fasted on Mount Sinai for 40 days, followed by God calling the people of God to fast on the Day of Atonement. Throughout the Old Testament, all of your major characters fasted. Moses, David, Samuel, Esther, and the prophets even in, within Jewish community moving forward, they, they would often fast twice a week. By the time of Jesus, it was a common practice to fast twice a week. And so Jesus, when he came to the earth, interacted with fasting in much a more frequent way than myself. However, fasting has all but disappeared in the Western church. We're, often, we're likely to hear fasting more so by a, a health guru than you are a spiritual advisor. And so it's become something different or something mysterious or something questionable or what, what is it for many of us. For others, it comes with uh, this uh, visceral reaction. If I talk about food or fasting or body, it becomes very like, challenging for you. Like, whoa, there's something there that makes me really uncomfortable. And it only takes very shallow understanding of our current culture of body shame and uh, eating disorders and history of abuse to, to understand why that is. I want to encourage you, if that's you today, there's, um, I want to encourage you to be careful as you move into this, that if you have a diagnosed eating disorder, I want you to talk to a professional before you engage with this and consider doing an alternative um, fast that I'm happy to help you set up. Uh, it's very important. Um, if that is you, I want to encourage you to also listen to um, one of the episodes on, their, on the Practicing the Way podcast um, by Allison Cook, a doctor of, um, she's a specialist in the area, and there's just some really good guidelines for, for how to interact with that, okay? Um, with that being said, it is uh, very less, it's not very practiced very often, but if we look at the, the history of the church, all of this, excuse me, almost all of the giants of the faith have practiced fasting. Most of the church fathers taught about it, wrote about it, and for about 1,500 years in the Christian faith, it was considered to be essential to discipleship. It was on par with reading your Bible and going to church. But after 1,500 years, there was a, a movement called asceticism where people would punish their bodies in order to make themselves feel or think that they were actually acting more holy. And so the church reacted against that false belief that the more you suffer, the more you fast, the holier you will be. That is a false belief. I just want to say that again. The church reacted against that, but as we often do, it becomes a pendulum where then we're like, it doesn't matter what you do. It's, it's all about your heart. It's all about your mind. It's all about the Abraham scenario for me, right? It's just all, it's just philosophical. 
And so what we're seeing today in the church is a movement back towards the middle where we're going, hey, we're not going to create any legal system around fasting or the practices of Jesus. We're simply going to look at his life as a way of wisdom. And we're going to try and acknowledge that Jesus actually, he lived in a way that was always connected with the heart of the Father. So what if we lived in a way that constantly placed ourselves in a way where our heart was frequently connected with the Father and we invited the Father to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in our life because we cannot cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? All we can do is open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's power and invite Him to do so. And so fasting for us is one of those things where we go, okay, it's this area, this thing that Jesus did and throughout history people have done and consistently we've seen it be practical in different ways, both to, as an offering before God or even as a way of sharpening our senses or sparking us to be awakened to the heart of God and the reality of heaven. We see it as something practical that we want to explore together. So, even after 1,500 years, this is still being practiced around the world, mostly in the Eastern Church. Uh, by, by, by practice around the world throughout history, most often people would um, not fast on the Sabbath. It was the one day that you wouldn't fast. It's a day that's dedicated to the Lord. No, it's a day of celebration, the Sabbath, right? It's the day where we celebrate Christ risen from the dead, not his death, as we will be reflecting upon throughout Lent and Good Friday, there was one exception that the historical church allowed for a day of fast, which is called Holy Sabbath. It's the day between or the 40 hours between Jesus' death on the cross on Friday to Easter Sunday morning when he arose. Throughout history, that's been a fast that people have done, and uh, I'm planning on doing that this year, and I'll invite you to do that. It's, it's going to be terrible. I'm not looking forward to it, um, but I really want to experience what that has been like for thousands of individuals for over a thousand years. Now, how many of you guys, you know about Lent? How many of you guys have observed Lent before? Okay, Lent is the uh, 46 days before Easter, 46, because it includes six Sundays, and you don't fast on Sundays, as I said before, and so it's 40 days that are supposed to be uh, imaged of the 40 days of Jesus in the desert. And so it's really just trying to put yourself in the place of Jesus. You're, you're experiencing the, almost the, the, the fellowship of his suffering, where you're entering in going like, man, I can't believe you did this, Jesus. This is horrible. This is hard. I don't think he took Sundays off, but we'll see. Um, no, he didn't. During Lent, uh, which starts on Wednesday, okay? Wednesday, Valentine's Day. Yes, Super Bowl fasting, Valentine's Day, uh, Ash Wednesday. Um, one, one, one of my friends had a suggestion that we, because if how many of you guys have been a part of a, a Lent service before you've gotten that, you've received the ashes? Anybody? interesting experience. I always thought it was super catholic and weird, and really, it has no, it's such a beautiful way of just stepping into the ashes of death. And so, one of my friends actually suggested that we put ashes on people's forehead in the shape of a heart on Valentine's Day. <laughs> I was like, there's nothing sacred. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, we can do that. I'm not going to point out who it was, uh, but uh, we, we walk that line of sacredness, but also just knowing that there is humor with Jesus. Like Jesus. I think Jesus is way more joyful than we give him credit for. I think so many of the comments or the things that we see in the stories of Jesus, they're like, 
what were you saying, Jesus? I think he was like, it was like, eh, with a little grin, you know? He's a little Riley, and I love it. So, I don't know. Uh, Ash Wednesday uh, is coming. Please come. It's going to be cool. Come for a little. Come for long. It's going to be great. Um, interestingly, I thought this was fascinating. The Christian practice of Lent, those six weeks before Easter, is actually what Ramadan, which is the uh, Muslim uh, re- um, reflection for a month of fasting, was based on. Christianity has had its fingerprints on fasting from the very foundation. Going without for the sake of apprehending something greater. Starving the flesh, as someone has said, to feed the spirit. Fasting has a place. All right, let's push on. Fasting is one of the most powerful, or sorry, most essential and powerful of all the practices, uh, the Practicing the Way team says, uh, of Jesus, and arguably the single most neglected in the modern, in modern Western church. Uh, St. Basil uh, the Great from AD 33, what a great quote. Fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the brave and a discipline for champions. Fasting repels temptation and anoints, the, uh, anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety and the crafter of a sound mind. In the wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches tranquility. Fascinatingly enough, even um, Winston, or actually was the King of England during World War II called for a national fast leading up to Dunkirk, which the miraculous stealing of the, um, the channel happened. These things happen. So basics, what is fasting? Okay, crash course. The basics of fasting is this, primarily, it, it, if you're thinking about a classical fast, it is abstaining from food. You continue to drink water, you go without food. That is the classical fast. That is the primary way we're going to talk about fasting. However, there are alternative fasts, as I said before, that I think give very good credence to us as a body. Um, there is an abstinence fast where you abstain from certain things. You choose uh, something. Some people will, will, will kind of work within their own temptation area to use for fasting, or they'll uh, select an area of, of life that they just want to see Jesus move into. Um, during one Lent season, I chose a different fast for each of the four weeks, whatever, month before, and one of them was uh, I would only take single helpings of anything, never seconds. It was a fast from indulgence, and I found it so beautiful, to be honest. It wasn't super hard, but it was conscientious. I was like, this world is not where I'm trying to get my, my fill. My fill is to be to the Lord. And so I don't want you to think of uh, uh, this fasting as something that needs to be massive. It doesn't need to be a 21 day. Another question is, how long should it be? They can be uh, a morning it can be a meal. It could be for during this practice, we're going to try and encourage you guys to, to fast until dinner one day a week, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but for me, I practice every Wednesday, 6 in the morning to 6 p.m., where I'll fast and I'll pray for the church. 
And so some of you notice you get texts on Wednesdays, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just sitting there looking at my blackboard with all your names on it and just praying, and I, I love it uh, and hate it. Um, <laughs> so um, Jesus speaks about fasting a couple of times. We'll, we'll reference one of them this morning, Matthew six sixteen through 17. Uh, he says this, and when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they, they do it to disfigure their faces, that their fasting might be seen by other people. Truly, I say to you, they are receiving their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, take your fa- that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice a couple things, that fasting is one, assumed by Jesus, not commanded. It's an assumption when you fast. And two, it is rewarded. Something happens that catches the Lord's attention, and he loves it when we fast. For who? For him, not for others. And so it is intended to be Godward focused, where it's cultivating the inward secret place of your soul and your heart. It's bringing God into the place of, of your most essential longing. When I'm fasting and I get hunger pains, I go, God, I want you more than I want food. I want you more than I want food. I, I want, God, you to move. I want you to hear my prayers. I want to be aligned with your heart more than I want my stomach to stop groaning. Uh, how long should we fast? We already went into that um, A number of different days can be be done, but uh, we'll start small. Number three, when do we fast? Uh, Throughout Scripture, it's both a rhythm and a response. When uh, Jesus rose from the dead and the disciples continued to fast, the fasting that used to be was primarily on Monday and a Friday, I believe. No, sorry, Monday and a Saturday for the um, Jews. They shifted the days to Wednesday and Friday. Wednesday because that's the day Jesus was betrayed, and Friday because that's the day Jesus was crucified. And so on those days, you bring those different reflections upon yourself, and you go, man, what would that have been like to be you, Jesus? I can't believe you took on that suffering. And then allowing that, that suffering, it shared suffering, to actually become this place of, like, embrace. <laughs> where your stomach aids you, it doesn't go against you. Your flesh becomes a tool to draw near to Jesus rather than something that gives you guilt the next day, going, oh, why? Number four, we fast in community or alone, both. Number five, why do we fast? Primary reason we fast. We don't fast to get something from Jesus. I just learned this not long ago, a year ago, two years ago when I first started studying this. It's not to get something from God. It's way more about us giving ourselves to God. It's about giving ourselves into his heart, into his will. Fasting is so much more not about convincing God to do what we want, but it's about me entering into the very heart of God and how he sees circumstances. My prayer in fasting is, God, I want your goodness to be actualized in this area of need not my request being answered. I want your goodness to be actualized in this area of need, not my preference, because God's goodness is the only eternal goodness there is. It's the good that will always resound as good and true. 
Some of my good plans are going to resound and have resounded as real bad ideas in time and space. Amen? But His good is going to ring forever. We want His good to manifest itself in the places of our longings and not the limited vision of our desires. So we do not fast to get something from God. We fast to give ourselves to God. So that is primarily our focus today is talking about offering ourselves to Jesus. Over the next three sessions, we're going to split them every other week. Over the next eight weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to talk about one of these. Next week, we'll not be talking about fasting. So we can go home and pig out guilt-free. So put that on the calendar next week. I'm just kidding. Sorry. (laughs) Bad timing. Uh, The next section will be on growing in our holiness, the power of fasting to help us cultivate holiness with God. Thirdly, amplify our prayers. And fourthly, to stand with the poor, which we're going to have a guest speaker come. Uh, he was one of the guy, one of the pastors who was on staff um, when all of these practices were actually originated at Bridgetown. So I'm really excited to have Cameron come speak on the 24th. Uh, okay, so we want to we want to cultivate a hunger for Jesus. I love John Piper's quote, who says, uh, "Fasting is a whole body hungering for God. It is actualizing and longing for God in a non-mental uh, way. It, our very practice of going without." Uh, declares, speaks, so to speak, to God and invites him to transform our inward person. Some things you cannot cultivate within yourself. No matter how hard you try and convince yourself, it is so hard to uproot yourself from this world and actually place yourself in the, your, your longings, your heart, your hopes into eternity, into heaven. Well, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so for us to cultivate treasure, not here in this world, but in heaven, we have to do it in the secret place where only your Father sees. Where we're not doing it for the applause of man. No, that's storing up treasure here on earth but we're doing secret acts of faithfulness. We're praying in the hidden space of our home. We're cultivating our hearts with God. We're we're suffering with Jesus in the secret place, and Him alone cultivates this, this answer of our longing, and His very presence actually cultivates treasure where our heart begins to be more with Him than it is here in the opinion of man, or our success, or our bank account. We've invested more here than here. I mean, that's the joy. That's the heart. But it's impossible to do by our own human strength. You need to be given and surrendered to the heart of God. Arthur Wallace, who uh, is the author of the companion uh, uh, book to this, um, I believe it's called God's Chosen Fast. I'm about halfway through it. It's been pretty good so far. Uh, He has this quote. It says that fasting is a bodily practice with a tendency to humble the soul. Different practices are going to interact with different parts of you. Prayer is going to interact with your spirit. Fasting interacts with your soul, your being, the very area that controls your decision-making. And so when we fast, it actually is wrestling with and changing the space so that when I'm not fasting, I'm actually, uh, I've had my, my decision-maker messed with and, it, and it's transformed by the power of the Spirit so that I'm able to live in a different way. Wouldn't it be so nice if more and more my inclination, your inclination, was to do the things of God? Oh man, fasting is one way that seems to gain access to that. 
Fasting is a practice to offer our whole life to God. Another quote from uh, Rich Velotis. i got to get his name down. How have I tried to... He asked this question when trying to decide what to fast. How have I tried to soothe my pain in ways that have left God out of the picture and left others out of the picture? In fasting, I'm now stripping away all of the ways that I have been dependent upon something other than God. And whether it is food, social media, or work, whatever it is, how can I now throw myself once again at utter dependence upon God? What if that's how we determined our fast? Is What are the things that I just run to to soothe me when things are not okay? And how in those moments of pain where everything in my body, all of my trained uh, defense mechanisms are all just screaming for me to run to that thing again because why? It works. Not long term, but it works. Short term. And instead of going like, I'm going to hunger and thirst for this world. No, I'm hungering and thirsting for the satisfaction and, and, and the filling that only comes from you, Jesus. A good theology of fasting goes hand in hand with a good theology of embracing Jesus and embracing Him as the sustenance of life. It's one of the reasons we take communion, recognizing that Jesus is the sustainer of our life. Not life, but life. He goes on to say and says, our lives are often oriented around self-soothing. And this is the quote I shared before. Fasting is important because it reminds me once again, I've tried to address my problems in very worldly ways. And I've left God out of the picture. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, Paul says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Strangely, the, the word that Paul uses here for bodies is, is not just the heart. It's not just, hey, I encourage you to give God your mind, your, your heart, your affections. It's, it's the, the word where Greek, basically the word is soma. It's where we get the other word somatic from. Soma, it means your whole person, including your body. We have to refine our understanding of the theology of our bodies where God doesn't just care about your minds and your bodies don't matter. It matters what we do with our bodies. That's why 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on in chapter 6, verse 19, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom, have, uh, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Our bodies are supposed to be laid out as offerings to Jesus. And sometimes that means serving others, but sometimes that means just taking it, what it is, your whole being, and offering it to the Lord. And it doesn't even mean you move, you offer Him anything, but the space to rush into. What an offering. What would it be like if, if your, your child that you've been detached from, or a family member that you wish you were closer to, or a friend who's been distant? What if, what if the only thing they offered to you was like just throwing open their heart, going like, just come on in. Here's who I am. I, I don't want anything else other than for you to just know me, meet me, love me. For some of you, that, that, you know that that feeling of, of being pushed away 
or not having access to the depths of someone you deeply care for, oh, that is a beautiful offering for someone to trust you with their inner being, for someone to trust you when they're not okay, for someone to trust you when they're hangry, (laughs) when they're not all fat and fed up and all joy and happy and all that, that, for them to be like, man, I'm not okay. For a truly kingdom-minded person, for someone to come to you and say, I'm not okay. Is that okay? I just, I need meet you. Here I am. That is a tremendous, tremendous gift. Because then we're talking about reality. We're not talking about the weather, the Seahawks. We're talking about the core of that person. It's in that place, those inner knowings that are actually eternal. In those sacred places where we welcome one another and God welcomes us and we welcome God and we allow His healing touch his Holy Spirit that heals and sears and brings closure and comfort to areas of our emptiness, that we actually are being redeemed from one layer of glory to another. I just, I can't get over the fact that Jesus just wants me as I am. He wants me to invite him into those places when I'm not okay, when I'm not polished. And I think this is one of the areas that our bodies can be an asset to us. We don't always know what's going on in us. We don't always know what's wrong or where we need help or why we feel what we feel. But somehow fasting cultivates this bubbling up of what really is. And for us, for a moment, to be raw and open before the surgeon's eyes. And what if we thought about fasting as surgery where we go in and and the surgeon is God. And we, we allow Him to open ourselves up and in that vulnerable space, the, the places of our deepest need are bubbling to the surface and he spots it. Oh, that's the thorn. That's the poison. That's the death that's been in you. Oh, and instead of me going like, no, 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 I'm fine. Jumping off, off, of the, off the gurney or whatever, we allow the surgeon to steady himself and bring his knife of redemption to cut away that which is broken, that which is poison, that which is killing us, and bringing the healing that we all long for. Oh, what if we thought about Jesus that way? Hmm. Well, there's nowhere to go from that beautiful image, eh? I'll close with the words of Jesus. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you what I believe is with himself.
Amen. Hmm. Beautiful, huh? Man, I didn't think coming in today that a talk on fasting was going to make me feel like that. But that is the beautiful presence of Jesus. So, let's, uh, let's take a second and bow your heads. And I'm going to introduce us into communion. We're going to worship this morning. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes, open your ears, and I'm going to ask you to just open, ask the Spirit, what is it that, that I'm supposed to be grabbing from that? Jesus' prayer is that we would hear and not merely listen. What are you hearing? If the Lord is clarifying anything in your mind, and I'd encourage you to continue asking, what is that, Lord? If you do hear him, I want you to say, I hear you saying dot, dot, dot. Lord, you want us to be a people who don't just hear, but that we actually care. We allow your words to settle into our hearts. If you've heard from the Lord today, I encourage you to take that statement in your mind and hold it before the Lord and say, Jesus, Son of the living God, what would you have me do with this? If I took this and internalized it, if I let it affect me, if I put this into practice, what would that look like? How would that change my thoughts? What are you inviting me to? I encourage you to meet the Lord with the same kindness that he has towards you, desiring to bring you life that you would receive his words as life-giving and you would ask him for courage through his spirit to embrace them and place them in action. Lord Jesus, we just bring before you our hearts and we bring before you this world that we live in and it's so dominant but we want Jesus to be woken up to you to what you're doing in us and through us Lord we want to be the sleeping giants who are startled awake Lord God who are set free from the death that is within from the the hell that you're trying to get out of us Jesus
Lord, we, we ask you to hasten your kingdom to come here. God, that even now your spirit would be moving among us, Jesus, that you would allow us to see that which is poison as poison and that which is um, unhelpful as unhelpful, Lord Jesus. That we would be able to look at you, Christ, and I pray in the name of your, your name, Jesus, that any vision of you that is anything other than the generous surgeon would be banished from our mind, Lord Jesus. Would your presence be good news to us? Would we be thrilled by your attention? God, we just invite you to renew us, make us awake and cultivate wholeness within us. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed us how to live in this world and we ask you to show up as we create space and we seek your face. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you left us a meal to remember you by, the bread which symbolizes your body and the cup that symbolizes your blood. You say, all that would come to me, eat and drink of eternity. Thank you for dying in our place and serving us how you did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.